Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Well, it's uh, the day before Halloween. I guess the holidays are here. They're on us. And uh, it's, it's kind of a fun time and a fun season to be together and do family things and events. Um, before we jump in today, I just want to take a moment to pray and ask for God's blessing on our service. Father, we thank you for this morning and this chance to gather. Um, I thank you for those that are here that are um, interested in hearing from you, interested in spending time with other believers for encouragement and support. And I thank you that uh, you're with us, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. And gathering together on Sundays helps us to refocus our minds and um, really just express our commitment and our devotion to you. And so would you guide the remainder of this service? Would you guide um, our time in your word? And I pray that you would uh, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us individually about specific ways that we could cling to you, apply, or even obey um, some next steps. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are living in a time when ideas about God and this Bible and the Christian faith are becoming less popular, I would say. <laughs> and as time goes on, it seems like there's more and more efforts to remove God from schools, from, you know, or to take the word Christ out of Christmas. Um, there's more efforts made to pressure people into affirming things that God says are out of bounds. And when there's a growing divide between what's trending culturally and what's valued and what's promoted and what's advertised, and there's a divide between that and what the Bible says, Boy, that, that can put us in a lot of tension if we're, if we're living in the middle of that. And uh, I remember when I was younger, I was with some friends. Actually, it was one guy who was my friend and then people that I thought might become my friends. <laughs> but it turns out we all got, we, I got invited, we got together, and we, uh, they started watching a movie that I was unfamiliar with. And uh, it didn't take very long to get into the movie before I realized it was very inappropriate. <laughs> it's very displeasing to God. And I'm like, oh man, I'm like here at this hangout with my buddy and his buddies. And um, I was like, it's not, it's not my job to change everybody's mind about what we watch. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm the odd man out here. But I was like, I don't, I don't think I can stay here. I can't, I can't just sit here and watch this stuff. So I, I actually left, you know, the hangout in the middle of that. And I had, some, I had a mix of feelings about it. I'm like, man, how is this going to affect my friendships? And I also felt let down, too, because I was like, man, I really, it was some guys that I, up till, up till then, what I really looked up to. And I was like, oh, I wanna, I'm excited to be with this group. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, but this is, this, is, this is how they are, you know, in the evenings and when nobody else is watching. I was like, oh, I just, I had a mix of feelings. I just knew I couldn't watch that filth. And so, you know, there's, you know, we get put in situations where there's maybe a temptation to, cave or to compromise or kind of bend according to what's trending or popular. And that, I think there's just pressure in our society. And it, it, st it still comes at me. It's funny how sometimes I'll, I'll be at a coffee shop and I'll be doing some work, maybe preparing for church or just uh, writing emails and, and uh, I'll have my Bible out. And, you know, Bibles are pretty obvious when you, when you see one. You know, like you know, it looks different than other types of books. And so there'll be this thought that gets in my mind, like, are you sure you want to pull out your Bible so everyone can see who you are? And um, it's like, for a second, I have this desire to be incognito. I'd rather just work here, 
not anybody know what I'm up to. Just be a Christian in a quiet way. Kind of like a turtle. Like a turtle hiding in his shell. There's like this, this whisper of like, oh, you know, why don't you, just, why don't you just be quiet? I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> yes, I do want people to know who I am. I was like, dude, get, like, get out of my mind, Satan. Uh, I want people to know I'm a soldier of Jesus Christ. I am a son of the King, the living God. And at times, it's, it's just amazing how pressure to cave can feel so strong and the truth of who God is can seem so small at times. If you're in, the right, if you're in a certain situation, there's just this pressure, it can, just, it can mess with our minds. And so if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, no doubt you've been, in envi- you've been in environments before where people did not share your beliefs, and maybe you've even been in environments where people are hostile to the Christian faith. I think God allows moments of testing to see whether we're going to stand strong. And it could be at school, it could be with family members, it could be just when you're around town, or with people that you want to impress or be accepted by. We get these moments of pressure. And I'm just going to say, based on the direction that our country is headed right now, I think the moments of testing are going to increase in frequency and intensity. I think that's what we're walking into. I don't, I don't think that the testing and the pressure is going to decrease for any of us. For us to proclaim, Jesus is my Lord and the Bible is my guide. To say that is probably going to begin inviting opposition rather than applause. And that's why we're walking through the Old Testament book, Daniel. We're reading through Daniel. We're actually in a message series where we're just going one chapter at a time. And Daniel, he was a, an Old Testament prophet, but he was captured living in a society that was godless, secular, and hostile to the people of God. Probably the direction that we're headed. And uh, he was, so he was captured by the ancient uh, nation, uh, po- actually a powerful kingdom of Babylon. At this point, the most powerful country that we know of in, in ancient history at that time. And despite the pressure that he faced, he and his friends, actually some friends that we're going to read about today, uh, they did not waver in their faith. They didn't cave. They had enormous pressure. And these guys, they remained ruggedly determined to trust God, actually to honor God, no matter how much it cost them. And so in many ways, this book of the Bible that we're going through right now is really an excellent guide for the culture that we're living in and seem to be heading into. So we've already read through chapters 1, and last week we read through all of chapter 2, and today we're going to read through chapter 3. And so I'm, going to, I'm actually going to jump in, and I'll read the first part of this. And uh, throughout this series, as, as we're walking through, you can, on your own, read the chapter that we're heading into before, before you get to Sunday to kind of get your mind ready for it. But this is Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, King, and, and some of this I'm going to read, since there's a lot of text, I'm not going to put all of it on the screen. So let me just read this first part. King Nebuchadnezzar, the guy in charge at the time, he made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. In fact, I actually have a picture. Some, this is an illustration of what that could have looked like. An enormous statue. Um, and he sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, basically all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So all those rulers assembled and they stood before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then what happens is a herald 
loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language. So this is actually interesting. They, they must have assembled a lot of people, not just Babylonians, but because they were the most powerful, they probably could force people to come to this dedication ceremony. So the Herald says, people of every nation and language. In fact, I don't even care if you speak our language. <laughs> you're, you're, he says, you are commanded when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. So, verse 7. Here, I have this one on the screen, actually. Verse 7 says, Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the command, everyone is commanded. They're just kind of like forced into this. Bow or die. <laughs> that's the ultimatum and that's the pressure. It would seem that King Nebuchadnezzar, in what he's trying to do, he's just basically trying to force the known world at that time into full compliance and submission. Just, just beat everyone into submission. And, and, and submission that praises his own glory. And so what happens is, Verse 8, let me read this. Some Chaldeans took the occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the music fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And here's what they say. There are some Jews you've appointed to manage the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we, these are actually Dan, three of Daniel's friends. We re read about them in the previous chapters. These guys actually got promoted earlier on in the story because of... They, they did what was right, honored the Lord. They did not compromise their beliefs. And actually, God worked it out that they got promotions in this society because of it. So their, their rulers, actually Daniel got promoted even higher, so he's not in the mix currently. Um, he probably wasn't required to be at this dedication the way that these guys were. So they, these Chaldeans, they point out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say, these men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Here's another illustration. And it's, uh, this is another image of Basically, everyone from all over bowing down, full compliance, and there's only three guys in that whole crowd standing up. There's no hiding it now. <laughs> you are sticking out. Like, you just look around this plane full of people bowing, and then there's three guys. Actually, in this picture, there's like one guy that's like, get down, guys, get down. What are you doing? You can't be standing. So here's what happens. Predictably, verse 13 says, then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them. It's almost like he starts off kind of like nice. He's like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? He says, now if you're ready. <laughs> it's almost like condescending. Now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of all this music, Fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And this is, this is a great question he asks. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? 
So here's, here's some intimidation, right? Here's some pressure. You know, I tell a little cute story about being in a coffee shop and my, having my Bible. Now, this, this is intimidation on a whole nother level. And you've got, actually, not only that, but this is, this is a totalitarian government. So in our country, we actually have a, we, we currently actually do have a really good government system. It's very different from this one. Um, in this one, there's no exemptions. There's, there's no freedom. There's no choice. You have no voice. And nobody's speaking out for you. Just only pure compliance is allowed in a, a totalitarian state. So these guys, these three guys, are not disobeying the king out of arrogant disrespect. Like, oh, we're not, we're not going to, you know, because sometimes people want to react against the government just out of like, oh, it's, it's about my rights. No, what really actually, what we read about these guys is they were very respectful to the king and the land they were living in. The reason they were still standing is um, they were unwilling to disobey God. They served God who was on a higher level than this king. And certainly, they, had, they probably had the words of Deuteronomy in their minds, from actually from the, the Ten Commandments that they knew. One of the Ten Commandments is, do not have any other gods before, besides me. Also, do not make an idol for yourself in the shape of anything in the heavens above or the earth below or in the waters under it. God said, do not bow in worship to them and do not serve them because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commands. Certainly, these three guys had the words of God in their mind saying, like, this is, we're not, being, we're not trying to be disrespectful, but we cannot compromise what God has been so clear about what we can and cannot do. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they really knew God's word well, which actually, even that in itself, is an insight for us, to be so clear about what God has said that it guides us in the everyday situations we find ourselves. But they wouldn't compromise. They were completely alone in their conviction. Others from other lands, everybody had their heads down. Even other Jews bowed. If you read about the story, this de the deportation where they, many, many people from Israel were exiled and living in Babylon. Nobody else was standing, just them. They wouldn't bow. They couldn't bow. How much pressure and intimidation would it take to make you bow? How much would it take for you to compromise your convictions on what God has so clearly said? There's a lot in the Bible that's um, not, not as clear. There's some th things that take some study, and there's some things that we can't totally reckon. But there's, there's a lot that's very clear. <laughs> there's a lot that is just very explicit. And uh, this, is an, this is one of those cases. So, there, you know, this king asked this, this really intimidating question, who can, who, what God can save you now? And their response is incredible. It's unbelievably gutsy, actually. In fact, they're, they're probably... As they respond to the king, they're probably mentally preparing themselves for the furnace as they're responding to the king. And they say, here's verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, O king. And most Americans would probably add, 
and he will rescue us because he doesn't want us to feel any pain. <laughs> uh, God, is, God wouldn't let us suffer, so I know he's going to save us. Actually, what they said was, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Now that's pretty gutsy. They actually probably thought they were going to die. <laughs> like, actually, I don't, we don't even know if God's going to come through on this one. We got no guarantee. And then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage. And ex the expression on his face changed. You know, it's like he was like putting on kindness. No, it says his expression changed, probably snarled up. Changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. And he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men, in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes, were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And here's, what it, here's interesting. It says this. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. So, they didn't bow. Do I have, a, do I have one more fire picture? Why didn't they bow? Why didn't they cave? when the stakes were this high. I, I don't know if you could find yourself in a more pressure-filled situation than this. I don't know if you could meet such hostility, intimidation, and threat than this. And they say, even if he doesn't rescue us, we will trust God and we will do what's right. So, does that mean, does that mean we don't always get rescued? Hmm. Isn't, isn't God a rescuing God? Of course, we know that God would later send his son Jesus to rescue people from eternal death and separation from God. If we place our trust in Jesus, humbly acknowledging his death on the cross on our behalf, we will be rescued from the dominion of darkness and a much worse furnace in hell. We will be rescued from that. But these men, they knew well God enough that he doesn't always spare people from death. God doesn't always spare people from suffering in this life. And still, look at their faith. They would go to their deaths, firmly clinging to their trust in God. This, to me, is what you would call unscorchable faith. You know, you know, you can, you, things can get scorched when they're hot, and their, they, you couldn't burn, even if they got burned, their faith, nothing was going to touch their faith. The word scorch, it means uh, to burn, to parch, or to shrivel with heat. This did not happen to their faith or their trust in God. Their bodies might be burned, their clothes shriveled and charred and floating away like, you know, little chaff on the wind. But their faith would not. In fact, their, fa their faith actually would get purified into a kind of refined gold that is of immeasurable value. Actually, something even better would happen to their faith. How would you like to have unscorchable faith like this? Actually, God strengthens convictions by allowing us to face and endure the fire. There's a, if you want to follow along, and there's some additional places to fill in some lines there, but 
This may actually help you to remember, God strengthens convictions by allowing us to face and endure the fire. And I, I bet perhaps Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, maybe they didn't even realize how deep their faith was until this moment. <laughs> maybe they didn't even know the depth of their faith. Maybe this, maybe this was allowed intentionally by God to test them while they were living in a godless society. Still today, if we respond in faith, courage is built through intense pressure and testing. So it's possible that you might be walking through fiery trials right now. There may, maybe there's hot spots in your life. Maybe there's things that God is using. Maybe things that God has even designed intentionally in order to test your faith and test your convictions to see whether you're going to buckle or will you stand strong? Maybe you're battling some very strong emotions. Maybe you're battling some temptations to compromise. Or maybe there's some areas where you've already given in. When in the fire, when we go through the fire, these questions are answered. Will I obey? This is a very important question. If you're standing in the fire, the answer to this question has been revealed. Will I obey? And the, the other question is, will I trust God regardless of the outcome? When you're in the fire, we all get to see. Will you obey and will you trust God no matter what the outcome is? And really to obey, for us to obey God, what that means is I'm going to do what's right and I, I will refuse to do what's wrong. If there's an area that's out of bounds, I will stay far away from the boundary line. That's what obedience is like. So Nebuchadnezzar says he increased the heat seven times hotter than usual. I don't know what the hottest fire is that you've been around. I mean, probably most of us have just been around like campfires. And actually, not even campfires. Now everything's like kind of gas-lit fires, and those are even less hot, I think. <laughs> so I don't, know what, I don't know what the hottest fire that you've been around, but sometimes if you're near a fire, you, it starts warming up your, your legs and your jeans get hot. And this, is, this is on a whole other level. This is seven times hotter. Actually, I'll, I'll talk about the, the fire in a second. But imagine, just as by way of analogy, if things got hotter in your life than they are currently, maybe, what if, what if the enemy cranked up the heat seven times in your life? Maybe, maybe level one heat is threats and intimidation. Maybe people coming at you or using offensive language or criticizing your beliefs. That, that's intense. Maybe level two heat would be rejection from people. Maybe there will be family members that shun you or maybe friends that just say, no, we're, we're, this friendship's over. Maybe level three heat is poverty. What if standing for what's right causes my finances to shrink? What if doing what God says means I may not grow my wealth? Level four heat could be isolation and loneliness. Because when you're under the pressure, maybe, maybe it starts, maybe that, that, is a, that's, that can be a lonely road. Level five heat could be loss of comforts. Maybe prioritizing God's kingdom in obedience means I've got to give up my kingdom. It means I can't actually pursue my life and my things the way that I want to. Level six heat could be constant battle with the flesh because it is so easy to give in to temptation. Sometimes I don't want to, I don't want to fight that anymore. I'm just going to give in. Continuing to fight is really hard. Level seven heat could be physical pain and suffering. 
if, if God lets this pain and suffering happen to me, to my body, can he really be trusted? All these different ways that we can be tested and the heat can get turned up in our lives. And if you're currently walking through a fiery trial right now, why don't you ask yourself, am I carefully obeying God? And will I continue to trust him even if he doesn't rescue me the way that I want him to? And if you're not walking through a fiery trial right now, maybe begin to prepare your mind and just ask yourself, when I get there, will I have the courage to stand when the heat gets turned up? Now, before we see what happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, let's remember the accounts that we've already covered in the first two messages. So they've, they've got a history and experience with God where he's already carried them through some things. Chapter 1, God protected them as young teenagers entering the king's palace. Um, they ate only vegetables in order to obey God, and they came out looking better and healthier than everyone else. This was a miraculous intervention. God came through. Chapter 2, last week, on the verge of execution, Daniel and his three friends cried out to God for mercy. The king was being irrational about his dreams. God gave Daniel a vision of the king's dream and the interpretation that brought, it brought them to safety. Again, this was a miraculous intervention. So here's another test for them. Like, hey, can, could we trust God in this situation right here? I mean, this is more intense than everything so far, but could we, could we trust? Because, you know, the first one, it was just about they might get kicked out of the palace. This, in chapter 2, the king was wanting to kill the wise men, but it was everybody. It was all of them, even the Chaldeans and everybody. And this, it has been singled down to them alone. This is way more intense. The king's intense anger is, you know, even the way his face turned towards them. Probably have that in their mind. Like, like he is just set on murder. Could we trust God now? Absolutely. But would they be concerned about the outcome? Probably. <laughs> if God didn't come through, they were convinced that God would still do right by them in the next life. And no matter what, they were not going to bend or compromise. And they were not going to bow down and worship the king or this idol. So when we take note of the times that God has rescued us, we can move forward with a deeper faith. If you have had times in your life when God has come through for you, that, that builds your faith. That helps you. For us, that's this part of our testimony of those times, those times when God came through. In, in the Wood family, Aaron and I and our four kids, we've, we have stories of God coming through related to our health, where God provided healing and endurance from burns. Actually, I got a really bad burn one time. We've been to an emergency room. Um, we've dealt with viruses and other ways that God has really come through for us and provided healing and protection. We've also seen God come through for us in terms of provision. God stretches the dollars when it didn't seem humanly possible. He provided housing or vehicles or unexpected checks really just at the right time. And we've got stories of growth where God has been faithful to help each of us grow past some of our sin struggles and those things that keep us in bondage. And if you've ever been a prisoner to your own selfish, sinful ways, you know how valuable that is. You know how valuable the freedom is that God gives, how important it is to be liberated, for us to be walking in victory. So we've seen God come through. And, you know, maybe for you, there's actually, I believe, space on your handout where 
at some point, maybe now or maybe later, you could jot down some testimonies of God's rescue or moments when God has come through. It's actually really, really helpful for us to recall to mind and remember, you know what, God, you were there. And because it, it's really easy to forget when he's come through. So th- those stories for us are stored up in our heart. We talk about them. And those things prepare us for a future, a future hour of testing where it gets hotter than it has been before. So if we head back to this fiery furnace scene, we see what happens. So uh, in chapter 3, but still chapter 3, this is now verse 24. So then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Because he expects probably for them to be just burned in a second. (laughs) But he's surprised, not just that they haven't burned up, but they're not alone yet. So, yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. Yeah, we threw three men into the fire. He exclaimed, look, I see four men not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Ooh. Gives you goosebumps thinking about that. Here's another picture. The king immediately, in in some way, when he says a son of the gods, in some way he's crediting this to a god or to God. He knew that there's a heavenly being on the scene at this moment. People speculate on this story, whether this was an angel or... Maybe it was the pre-incarnate Christ. Maybe it was Jesus before he came to earth. I've actually always believed that this scene in Daniel does reveal the Son of God, a a pre-incarnate version of Jesus. God stepping in to rescue. There's other moments in the Old Testament where you see similar things happening, where it could be um, examples of Jesus. But look at how this impacts the king. Oops. He says, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, (laughs) come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, all these guys, all all these rulers, all these people of influence and leadership, they all gather around, and they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair on their heads was singed, their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Have you ever been around a campfire? You ever smell like smoke for a long time after that? Ladies have it the worst. Erin, she's got like big curly hair, and it smells like smoke for a long time. Even if you're not around the fire for very long. And here is, there's no smell of, there's not even the smell of smoke on these guys. This is a divine, miraculous intervention. There's really no other explanation. And if you think about so I, just the fascinating thing about this story is this whole like hotness of the fire. So when it comes to what our bodies can withstand, like, oh, maybe they were like kind of like standing around the fire. Like, so just to put it into perspective, um, if a fire is anything less than 200 degrees, we would get either a first or second degree burn that affects the skin. I have one more picture, by the way, just to kind of like give you an idea of fire. <laughs> Um, so, but then actually over 300 degrees, skin cart starts to come off. Um, a house fire is much hotter than this. Uh, typical hi- house fires range from about 1,000 to 1,500 degrees. A furnace that can melt gold goes above that. Furnaces are different because if it's, if it's contained and the heat builds in its closed space, it gets even hotter. 
So uh, gold furnaces over 1,500 degrees. So seven times hotter than normal is what the king wanted. That, that would bring us over 2,000 degrees. Well, at that heat, you can melt rock. Things turn into magma. And as soon as a human would inhale air at that temperature, your lungs would immediately melt and inflame. Um, and that's actually why in this story, the guards who didn't even go in the fire died instantly. They, could, they couldn't even get as far as the other guys did. So this, this furnace is in a closed space. It's just, it's a little bit mind-boggling just how hot it probably was and how crazy this story is. <laughs> there is no other explanation but God's divine supernatural protection. And here's it. Look at this next scene. Verse 24, it says, Nebuchadnezzar explained, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, this guy is like really like, he's on like mood swing. Every, every chapter is a mood swing. So they, Therefore, I issue a decree that any, any one of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and their house made a garbage dump. <laughs> For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So they got promoted again. <laughs> so in this story, what you see is that faith brings ultimate protection. Faith brings ultimate protection. These men, so imagine if they would have remained quietly Christian. What if they, you know, what if they were in that moment in front of the gold statue and they just said, man, maybe God would understand if we just bowed. I mean, would it be such a big deal? Like, just, you know, like a turtle, put your head in the shell, go in, just hide out. Would it, would it be such a big deal? When they were confronted with that decision, every, everyone else, oh my gosh, everyone else is, is dropping their knees. What do we do? In that moment, it, it actually reminds me of actually a startling verse in the New Testament. When Jesus said in Luke 9, 26, he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. So if they would have just bend the knee, do you think God would have cared based on what Jesus has said? This is, this is, it's actually, what we do matters a great deal. And God does notice what we do. There's a, a staff writer from DesiringGod.com. It's a ministry of John Piper's. And he paints a picture of, of that scene when Jesus comes back. So if you think about, think about the intensity when Jesus comes back. And he writes, I'm just going to read a little bit of what he wrote. If you imagine that moment, the angels, too numerous to count, this is the day of judgment. The angels are too wonderful to anticipate. They encompass the whole earth. Some surround Jesus Christ, blazing like forest fires. Other angels bellow loud praises to God and to the Lamb. And still others flash like lightning, blowing trumpets and summoning the whole world to account. And then Jesus himself appears. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, draped in the glory of his Father, charioting the clouds, he approaches the world of men. 
and he comes to us. Jesus will be adorned with blinding light, dressed for war with a sword protruding from his mouth, and every eye will see him. No matter where you are standing on the planet, you will see Jesus ready for war. And the people looking at him, they'll, they'll either be true saints, true followers of Jesus who have endured and who have stood, and then there'll be others who are just brazenly unrepentant people preparing for their doom. And then there may be some people that knew enough about Jesus to follow him, but never really did. People that were quietly Christian. People that would maybe blush in conversation if Jesus' name was brought up. People that would just only visit Jesus at night, like Nicodemus did at first, but wouldn't appear with Jesus in the daylight. I don't want to be seen with him. In the end, that we're all headed towards, the King of Kings will look down at those who lived ashamed of him. And Jesus will be ashamed of them before his Father. Those that denied him will be denied. So it says in 2 Timothy 2. And then also Jesus says in Matthew 25, Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I find it really interesting that Jesus here references fire. In light of the story we just read, and quite possibly the story that him, Jesus himself was a part of, he references fire. These men in Daniel stood strong for God. No matter how intense it was, they would not disobey, they would not compromise, they would not go against what God has said. They would stand strong. And it turns out that they were rescued from the fire. And yet, any of us today who fail to stand for God will be thrown into the fire by Jesus. If we do not stand strong, putting our faith firmly in him, unwaveringly, we will be thrown into the fire. This is crazy. Like, this is, this is something that everyone needs to know before you get to the day of judgment. It is very easy in this world for us to hide who we are. It's almost like we're hiding the colors of our uniform to maintain the secret life of a disciple, if there even was such a thing. I would say, now is the time to give up being spiritually indecisive, to flee the halfway house of commitment between Christ and the world. Do you have the courage to decide who and what you will stand for? If you have tasted and seen a little bit of how precious Jesus is and how good he is. Live like you know Christ. Live like you love him, like you're waiting unashamedly for him to return. And let all of us, those of us who are truly true believers, followers of Jesus, who have taken a stand, let us, with God's help, resolve to live for Christ and nothing but Christ, no matter the cost. Let us not blush to speak his name or stand by every word that he has spoken. For what would it profit us to amass the whole world? Celebrity, admiration, a dream spouse, a thrilling career, safety from persecution. What, what does it benefit to amass all of that if having had them all, Christ is ashamed of us? So in light of this sobering reality, that it really helps to be confronted with time to time. There, there may be some next steps you might consider taking today. 
One might be, maybe you need to go public as a Christ follower at, at an ex-baptism. Maybe, maybe you just need to make the decision, first of all. But then one of the things that Jesus has commanded is to make a public statement by being baptized. So if you're ready to fully commit your life to Christ, we can help with that. You can jump from the track headed towards eternal death and destruction and jump to eternal life. Be part of the family of God. Another next step might be to determine to act with courage even without knowing the outcome. Maybe there's some temptation for your faith to crumble, to give way, but maybe you just decide, I must move forward with courage even if I don't know how this is going to turn out. And like that reference in verse 18, even if he does not rescue us, will I trust God? Maybe another next step might be to get serious about an area of disobedience in my life. Maybe you are a true believer, you're a follower of Christ, but you're just playing with something you shouldn't be playing with. Maybe it's time to get serious about an area. If you've, if you've stepped into disobedience, by God's grace, we can confess that, and then we can stand strong for what's right. Another next step might be to say, I, I will not bend on an issue that God has made very clear in the Bible. I will not bend, I will not bow to what the society says I have to bow to. The culture is putting currently, are currently putting tremendous pressure on us to bow to the world's perspective. There's a lot of things under fire right now, things about sexuality, things about gender and marriage, things about abortion and the value of human life, or just things that seem more innocuous, like the pursuit of the American dream, building my kingdom versus building God's kingdom. There are so many things under fire. Will we bow to what the world says or will we stand strong? Another final next step might be, this is actually a little bit more practical. You could pray for and participate in the election that's coming up because we are in a country where we can exercise our right to have influence over how this thing goes. It really is a privilege to be able to vote and our role and our participation really is crucial. So in this life, I think you can count on the fact that you will be tested. We can all anticipate that happening. Will you stand with courage? Let us stand with courage together no matter what comes. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this incredible story of rescue. Um, your faithfulness to these guys is, is mind-blowing, but just the intensity of what they faced. They probably did think their fate was sealed at that moment, but you are totally trustworthy, and I pray that you would give us the courage, Lord. I pray that we would actually take courage when things are scary or intimidating and do what's right to honor you. For those that are sorting through whether or not they will align with Christ, I pray that um, you'd make it very clear what's needed. I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit and your graciousness, remove obstacles that are preventing people from making a full, wholehearted commitment to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.